And we're going to read from Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 to 11. And most scholars call this passage in Philippians the Philippian hymn because the early church used to sing what I'm going to read. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider, consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And you can have a seat. Well, it's so good to see uh, so many folks here, and I know uh, there's some extra family here, and you know we're looking forward to singing Silent Night together and lighting the candles, and then we'll sing Joy of the World, and then we'll go home and eat, right? We'll have a good time. But this week, I think the whole world just focuses on this one event, and it's Christmas. Everything will become secondary for this 24-hour period, you know, December 25th while we celebrate Christmas. And it's amazing to me that an event that happened like 2,000 years ago can still cause traffic jams. And that, that's, a, that's a display of the power of God right there. What is so special about Christmas? It's the centerpiece of our history. Even our calendar is dated from the reference point of Jesus Christ. God actually split history with the event of Christmas. So before Christ, it's B.C., right? Even the secular people acknowledge this. And A.D. means in the year of our Lord. So this event splits history. Everything is either A.D. or B.C. What's so special about Christmas? I think this passage in Philippians 2 answers it. And I think here we have the greatest explanation in the Bible of who Jesus is and what he came to do. This is the foundation. This is the bedrock of all that we believe. And like I said, the early church used Philippians 2, 5 uh, to 11 uh, as a hymn. It's the Philippian hymn. So what's so special about Christmas? Uh, number one, let's just say, let's talk about the relevance of Christmas. God came to earth. You know, when the Allies landed on Normandy on D-Day, that was big news, but it's nothing compared to the news when God invaded the earth, and it was big news when man landed on the moon and walked there, but it's bigger news when God landed on the earth. Jesus Christ is God himself. It was God who came to earth. Verse 5 of Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God. The Phillips translation says he had always been God by nature. Jesus was God. God invaded the earth, and this is the relevance of Christmas. 
I mean, there are people who would say Jesus was a great man or even a great prophet. There's only one problem with that. Jesus never claimed to be a great prophet. Over and over, the Bible repeats and declares, and Jesus proclaims that he is God. I have a problem with a man who is just good (laughs) saying that he was God. Jesus repeatedly said, I'm God. It also says he had always been God by nature. Jesus didn't start in the stable. He existed even before creation. The theologians call it the preeminence of Christ. I mean, he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the uncaused cause. He's the second person of the Godhead. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, it says, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and on earth. Did you get that? He's the exact likeness of the unseen God. I have a hard time, you know, relating to some vague thing in the sky. But when I see God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, you know, I can relate to that. The Bible says if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. John 1, right at the beginning, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness didn't understand it. Jesus is God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus really was God, and God really came to earth, then Christmas is the most relevant event of all history. God came to earth. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. But not only the relevance of Christmas, God came to earth. You know, what's so special about Christmas? Secondly, let's talk about the reality of Christmas, that God became a man. This is even more difficult to understand. If you were God and you were going to come to earth, of all the ways you could come or choose to reveal yourself, I mean, would you come as a baby? Would you come as a human being? Many babies have grown up to become kings, but no king has become a baby. Verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 2, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. The Amplified Version says he became like men and he was born a human being. The reality of Christmas was that Jesus was a real man. You know, flesh and blood and bones and hair. He was a real person. He wasn't a myth. He wasn't a fable. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't just a a nice story. Even, Even the Encyclopedia Britannica you know, uh, has more pages on Jesus Christ than anybody else. The reality is that God came to earth and God became a man. Now, why would he do that? If God wanted to communicate with dogs, he would have become a dog. If he wanted to communicate with birds, he would have become a bird. But God wanted to communicate with us, with people, so he became a person. And this is what the Bible calls the incarnation. God came to earth but he came as a human being, a person like us, without ceasing to be God. He was God with skin on. How is Jesus like us? Well, he was born like us. 
He made himself nothing. He came into the world like billions of other babies, but the whole history of the world rested in that one fragile infant. That must have blown the minds of the angels like, God, what are you, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? No flashy entrance to let the whole world know that he's there. He just comes in the middle of the night in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't stop being God when he became a man. He was 100% God and 100% man. He is the infinite God, man, there is no one like Jesus Christ. He was God in human form. He was born like us, but he also grew like us. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. He grew. He developed. I think he probably had growth spurts. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have gone to school with Jesus? I mean, you would know that he was probably a little bit different, but would you believe that he was God? I mean, he didn't parade the fact that he was God. He was a, a human being, and he grew like us. He looked every inch like a carpenter and a Jew from Palestine. He was a real man, and that's the reality of Christmas. So he was born like us. He grew like us, and he was also tempted like us. The book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. I mean, Jesus experienced the same pressures that you do, the same pressures that I do, the same temptations and desires and drives, the same temptations to lie and to cheat and to steal, and he had the, the same drives, but he never gave in to them. It's important because he can relate to you and to me when we're struggling. So he was born like us, he grew like us, he was tempted like us, and he also suffered like us. He felt pain. He felt disappointment. He got tired. He got fatigued. He felt lonely at times. He was grieved. He cried. He was human. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he died, Matthew 26, 38, he said, the sorrow is so great it almost crushes me. He knew what it was like to feel pain. He can relate to your pain and to your problems and to your pressures. He was God, but he became a man. Jesus became what we are so that we could become what he is. That is the reality of Christmas. So the relevance, God came to earth. The reality, God became a man. So what else is so special about Christmas? Let's talk about point number three, the reason of Christmas. Jesus came to die. I heard a story about a woman who was doing her last minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall and she was just tired of fighting all the crowds and she was tired of standing in the lines it was worse than disneyland she was tired of fighting her way down long aisles looking for that gift that had sold out days before her arms were just full of these bulky packages when the elevator door opened it was full the occupants of the elevator grudgingly tightened ranks to allow a small space for her and her load as the doors closed, she blurted out, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few others nodded their heads or grunted in agreement, and then from somewhere in the back of the elevator came a single voice that said, don't worry, they already crucified him. The truth is, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die, and the cradle, it, actually, it does not make any sense at all without the cross. Christmas makes no sense at all without Good Friday and without Easter. The reason for Christmas, Jesus came to die. Somebody said, Santa puts gifts under the tree, but Jesus became our gift and died on the tree. 
Verse 8, it says, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't stay in the crib. He didn't stay in the manger. He went to a cross voluntarily laying down his life for us. Why? He didn't have to. He was God. He could have called 10,000 angels and he could have stopped the whole process at any point. He didn't have to go to the cross. Nobody put him there without his permission. Why did he allow himself to go to the cross? Two reasons. First of all, to demonstrate God's love. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So his motivation was love. I mean, if you want to know how much God loves you, just look at the cross. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. A lot of people may give their life for their friend or for their family or for their children, but the Bible says that God gave his life for us when we were rejecting him, when we had our backs to him, when we were his enemies, when we were powerless, before we even knew him, before we were even born. He gave his life for us, and that's love. That's the reason for Christmas, to demonstrate his love for me. God so loved the world that he gave his life. Another reason not only to demonstrate God's love, but to, to pay for my sins. You know, when you break a law, you got to pay a penalty. I was telling the service at 4 o'clock, I, I had an accident over here by the Y, and uh, I had to pay the penalty. Um, I took out a light post when I, that snowy day. Just took it right out. I felt like I was in Dukes of Hazard or something like that. But when you break man's laws, you know you pay man's penalties. When you break God's laws, you break uh, you pay God's penalties. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First Peter two twenty four. It says that he, Jesus, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we can be finished with sin and live a life of righteousness. Somehow, think about this, what he did 2,000 years ago can make a difference in my life right now. I can be completely forgiven for everything I've ever done wrong or ever will do. And that's the reason for Christmas. The angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What does it mean to be a Savior? A lifeguard is taught that when you swim out to a person who's drowning, usually you don't grab them right away. You tread water and you wait because they're panicked. And if you grab them, you know, right away, they'll most likely grab you and pull you down under. You've got to wait until they're going under for the last time. And when they become limp and have given up, you put your arm around them and you help them back to shore. As long as a person is trying to save themselves, you cannot save them. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. As long as you think, hey, I'm okay. You know, I'm not so bad. You are the person in the most danger. The person who realizes he needs a Savior is much more open to receiving a Savior. If you think you don't need a Savior, you know what? That's your problem. 
You think you don't need a savior. If you didn't need a savior, God wouldn't have wasted all that effort to send one. The very fact that Jesus, he really did come to earth. He gave up all the glory of heaven. He became a human being. He was born as a little baby. He grew up. He had, you know, he had, he had pains and pressures and temptations. He died on the cross and he rose on the third day. And that means that you need what he has to offer. God wouldn't have wasted all that energy. The relevance of Christmas is that God came to earth and he split history. It's the focal point before Christ in the year of our Lord. But he came as a man with real flesh and real blood and problems and tears and emotions so he can understand exactly how you are and so he could communicate. And you can look at him and you can know what God is like and that's the reality. And the reason is he came to show how much God loves you. And to pay for your sin and for my sin by dying on the cross. And he offers salvation. Salvation is freedom. We don't have to be bound by sin anymore. Freedom from guilt. People pay a lot of money to get rid of their guilt. Freedom from worry. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from purposelessness in life. To know that your eternity is settled. They have that assurance of salvation, freedom to live the way God meant for you to live. That's the reason for Christmas. And then finally, number four, why is what's so special about Christmas? The result of Christmas, and this is what that middle candle represents. Jesus is Lord. What does it say? It says, therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross is not the end. He's alive. That's what Easter's all about. There, there was two results. Because he humbled himself, God has done two things. First of all, He's given him the place of top honor in the universe. He's honored above all else, the highest place. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And then also, he's been given a new name, the name Jesus. The name Jesus in the New Testament, in those times, it was a very common name. It wasn't unusual. It's kind of like John or Jim in our time. Jesus means salvation is of the Lord or Jehovah saves. It's what Joshua meant in the Old Testament. And they had to distinguish which Jesus it was that they were talking about. So they would say, Jesus of Nazareth. There's a lot of Jesuses back then. And even when he was born, he was given many names. And we've talked about those names during Advent. You know, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. That's a name. Mighty God. Who would name their kid Mighty God? Everlasting Father. Who is that? Prince of Peace. His name was Emmanuel. What name has Jesus been given as a result of going to the cross for us that's in the text in Philippians chapter 2? And the name is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I think the word is misused, it's misunderstood. It's used flippantly by many people, even Christians. They don't understand the meaning of Lord. 
Lord in the Greek is the word that means master. It's the word kurios. It means ruler. It means number one. It means Mr. Big, the one in control, this total sovereign king. Over 600 times in the New Testament, the Bible calls Jesus Lord. Lord in the New Testament times was a word used for Caesar. It was used in the Roman Empire because the empire was treated as God. They worshipped the Caesar as God. And the Romans would say, Caesar is Lord. And it became a test of loyalty in the Roman Empire. When Christians refused to say that, and they would say, Jesus is Lord, they were put to death. They were thrown to the lions, for real. I mean, this happened. Read the history books. They were made to fight the gladiators. They were rolled in tar and lit on fire. Many of them lost their lives simply because of that phrase, Jesus is Lord. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means, first of all, that I acknowledge that he really is God. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a carpenter. He really is God. He's the Lord. It's the test of my commitment to him. It also means that I believe that he has everything under control. Since Jesus is God, then God, he's got everything under control. Jesus has everything under control. To say Jesus is Lord is a statement of comfort, is a statement of encouragement. Although everything looks bleak, Jesus is Lord. And I know, I know that he's got everything under control. I might not see it, you know, the pattern of what's happening, but Jesus is Lord. And I recognize the fact that he has everything under control under control and nothing escapes his care nothing escapes his concern nothing takes him by surprise because he is lord to say jesus is lord is to say you know what i don't know what's going to happen in 2019 but i i do know who holds the future because jesus is lord and i commit all of my life to him he calls the shot because he is God, and he's come to earth, and he died for me, and he rose again. And because he's done all those things, he has the right to determine what's right in my life and to direct me. I'm seeking to live in accordance with his plans. Jesus once said this in Luke chapter 6, hey, why do you guys call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? That's a good question. That's a great question. Don't use the word Lord lightly. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what does it mean to be a Christian, to be a believer, to be saved? It means to say Jesus is not only the Lord, but he's mine. He's my Lord. I acknowledge the fact that he is God. I believe he has everything under control and I commit everything I have to him because he did something on the cross that I can't do. He paid the price for my sin. And Philippians chapter two says one day, one day every knee is gonna bow, every tongue will confess what God has known for all the ages and it is the truth of all truth, that Jesus is Lord, it will happen. One day, 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will be given his due honor. All of the arrogance in this world that puts itself up against Jesus Christ and all of the denial and all of the pseudo-scientific and psychological and philosophical arguments that are put up, they're going to fall by the wayside and every knee is going to bow. Mark my words, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's called the judgment day. It's coming. Everyone will stand there throughout history. Everyone will acknowledge that it is true. Every nationality, every age group, every male, every female, every religion will say, Jesus is Lord. I guarantee it. All the politicians are going to be there. Whoa, won't that be a good time? And they're going to say, Jesus is Lord. All the rock stars are going to be there. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, Jesus is Lord. All the scientists are going to be there, the professors, the businessmen, the homemakers. And they're going to say, Jesus is Lord. Everyone is going to admit it. Does that mean everybody's going to be the saved? Uh, is going to be saved? Of course not. Some will admit it on the way to hell. And some will admit it on the way to heaven. The issue is not, will you admit that Jesus is Lord? You will one day. The issue is simply when. You will either admit it now in love and in honor and in respect, or you're going to admit it later and find out that you have been wrong and you have made a big mistake. Every knee, that's what the text says, every knee, is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, and that is the result of Christmas. I think the greatest need in American Christians is the need to rediscover that phrase used for centuries as the test of a believer, Jesus is Lord. It may look like the other side is winning right now, but you know what? Jesus is Lord, whether you believe it or not. You know, you may think you cannot cope anymore, there's too much pressure, but Jesus is Lord. You might think your problems are too great and you can't handle them, but Jesus is Lord. Circumstances may pile up against you. People may thwart you, fight you, persecute you. But you know what? Jesus is Lord. Say that phrase when you're discouraged. Jesus is Lord. When you're tired, when you're worried, when you're afraid, just say it. Jesus is Lord. Say it when you don't think you can go another mile. Say it when you're grieving and you don't know why that somebody you love has died. Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're lonely. Say it at Christmas. Make it the theme of your life. I usually sign my letters, Jesus is Lord. It's been my theme uh, ever since 1972. And that's what it means to be a believer. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. So let's worship him tonight. That's why we've come, right? Let's worship him. He is the Lord, whether we believe it or not. He is the Lord. It's a fact. He is our great God and Savior. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. Jesus is Lord. I just want to wish you uh, a Merry Christmas on behalf of Mary, my wife, and I. We 
just so enjoy being a part of this church family and pray that you'll have an awesome time with your families. We're going to have our, you know, gift opening thing probably Saturday with all of our kids and grandkids, so that'll be fun. But I always say a benediction, and uh, every year it's the same one, and and I, it's really a prayer that I have for me and for all of us that you would experience firsthand. You know, not just somebody else's experience, but you would experience firsthand the joy of Christmas and the victory of Easter and the power of Pentecost. Amen? Amen.